Welcome to the Wilds Cast. In this episode, Rabbi Wilds talks with rapper Nissim Black. He and his wife converted to Judaism, and Nissim also has his own brand of whiskey, Hava. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. We are live. Uh, welcome all to the Wilds Cast. I have the great honor of uh, introducing and welcoming. Uh, someone I've been a big fan of for many years, Nissim Black. Thank you so much for coming on, Nissim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's really a pleasure and an honor. And uh, with your permission, um, I'd like to dedicate uh, this podcast um, and whatever Torah or inspiration that we can glean from uh, from talking to each other uh, to the memory of those 45 um, holy souls uh, Jews who lost their lives in Mehron, um last week. Um, I understand that you had a you had a close friend. Yeah, Moshe Moshe Tzfati, who um, is listed as sixty five, but he's probably the youngest sixty five year old I knew <sighs> in my life. Full of joy, probably one of the longest and closest uh, Talmidim of Rabbi Shalom Arush. And uh, he was my chavrusa uh, when I was studying at the Chutz Yochesed Yeshiva in Yerushalayim. He was, uh, we used to study Lekute Halachot together. And uh, I mean, I can't say enough about the incredible um, this person he was, you know, full of life, full of joy and happiness. Every time you seen him, he was for sure uh, just full of just joy. And he would light up a whole entire room. We used wow. to be roommates also in, uh, in Uman every year for Rosh Hashanah for the first time. Wow. So uh, very tough. Well, I'm so sorry for your loss, and this is devastating for the Jewish people all over the world, but particularly in Israel. And right. um, so, let, let's um, let's dedicate our our talk together to your chavruta's memory and to all and to everyone else. And and it should be a chizuk, uh, an inspiration towards a refuah shlema, complete recovery for all those who sustained injuries. Amen. Amen. Um, so let me let me just properly introduce our esteemed guest, Nissan Black. Uh, by the way, his first name is the Hebrew word for miracle, which I love, and he's done some pretty miraculous things. Uh, Nissim is an incredible rapper and a producer who's put out some amazing, amazing music. His YouTube videos have gotten millions of hits, and as you can see and you'll hear, he's unabashedly Jewish and observant, <laughs> a very, very proud Jew using his music to express himself uh, Jewishly, Nissim and his wife, Adina. Uh, converted to Judaism, uh, and now at the age of 34, is that correct? Do I have yeah. that right? right. Uh, they have Bli Ayn Hara, six uh, beautiful children, and they live in the Holy Land, Ramat Beit Shemesh, and I just want to welcome you again, Nissim. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. you you've uh, you've wrapped into little tape recorders, they say. That's right. the old story <laughs> when you were young. So tell us, what was it like? First of all, you know, tell us a little about your childhood, but did you always see yourself as a kid becoming a rap star? You know, most definitely I knew I had something to do with entertainment, you know. And I think, you know, whenever there was a camera around, any type of tape recorder or whatever, that's back in, in, in those days they had tape <laughs> recorders. Uh, you know, I was the first, you know, person jumping over there to do my thing or to dance in front of the camera or, you know, I was the kid that all of the... uh 
all of the family would be gathering around. Okay, okay, okay. You know, Damien was my was my uh, my original name. They said Damien's gonna give us give us something. You know, they would play the music, and I would just get up and start dancing, rapping, singing. So yeah, it was really uh, something that I knew I wanted to do even as a child. That's awesome. What was your? Can you tell us a, a great? You're from Seattle originally. Right. Right. What was what was growing up in Seattle like? Um, what was your best memory as a child? Tell us a little about your background there. So growing up in Seattle, um, I obviously grew up in the urban part of Seattle, um, exposed to a lot of violence and, and drug abuse and, you know, got myself very much so involved early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I had that part of the struggle. The music side uh, was, was also another life of mine and then also sports. I love sports. I played football. Mm. Um, and I would say probably, you know, my favorite, my favorite memories came from really football and, and overcoming. I've always been a person about like uh, persevering and, and, and triumph. So, you know, I was always a big kid, you know, when I was younger. And I remember I went through like more than half. I think it was two thirds of the season not being able to play on my uh, on my my elementary team because I was too big. And I didn't make the weigh-in. So, you know, I was too big a kid. I remember one week, you know, I think it was in two weeks, I lost like 22 pounds as a kid. Oh, oh my gosh. I was running heels. How old are you you at this age? I was maybe around 10 years old or something. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy to to lose that kind of weight when you're 10. Yeah, I was working so hard, dieting, everything like that. And I remember that Saturday stepping on the scale and them saying he's good to go was like one of the greatest memories I I could ever had to be able to play and finish the season. So, uh, you know, just overcoming things as a kid, that was probably one of my most favorite memories that I had. Wow. Did you experience any racism growing up? Not really, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Not that Mm -hmm. I, not that I can say like, you know, you know, I always say like it depends on where you grow up. Really, I grew up in mm-hmm. Seattle, which is very much so a, um, you know, it's very very laid back in that sense. There's not mm-hmm. so much you wouldn't think so. Well, what's going on now? You know, you look at like right. Portland and Seattle and some of these places where it's like, you know, the African American community as a whole. I would say I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak very much so for my neighborhood and where I grew up. You know. We weren't. We had problems. Racism wasn't one of our problems that we mm-hmm. could deal with. As opposed to where mm-hmm. you go back east or down south, where these things are a little bit more in your face, um, you may be. You may feel a little bit more. Um, you know, uh, of the need to lash out or whatever. But you look at like Seattle. Like we didn't. We didn't deal with that so much. That's so I can't really think of a time. You know, systemically. You know, I've mentioned that we didn't have books and things like that in my high school. But we had brand new football uniforms and basketball uniforms and we excelled in sports. We were last in test scores, not because we were less intelligent. We just didn't have the resources. I do mm-hmm. think that was not not intentional, you know, um, and in mm-hmm. some degree or, or rather the neglect was some part of some systemic, uh, you know, racism or whatever. But. You know, day in day out, that but that they, they they didn't really nurture you academically as much as they did athletically. Absolutely not. Didn't think about it twice. I tell you honestly, <laughs> my my sophomore year of high school, um, there was a big issue with Rick Neuheisel, who was the coach of the uh, the Washington Huskies at the <laughs> time. I think some bet took place or whatever. Very strict rules in the NCAA, and he was suspended from college football. Um, so he decided during those 
couple years that he was away from college football, um, that he would come and coach the high school that was best on paper, which was us. <laughs> we were best on paper. In <laughs> wow. Athleticism, wow. you know, and mm-hmm. uh, we we were really, really good and very, very talented. Um, so he came with the hopes that maybe he'll be able to scout some talent, you know, grads, you know, right, right up front. He himself took it upon himself to buy books for our school. Wow. And, you know, I'm talking about just tremendous love and care that, you know, that's another good memory of having with uh, Coach New Heights. I don't know, probably NFL right now. I, last I checked, he was coaching <laughs> the NFL. But, um, you know, that that was a type of thing where, you know, it was just a job where nobody did it and he stepped up to it. So. He stepped up. Wow. Now, your grandfather raised you Muslim, but your parents were not into religion much so what was the turning point tell us what was that like growing up and and how did you then eventually come to want to convert to judaism so it's it's quite a long process but my grandfather came to live with us he was a muslim he came to live with us when i was around um eight eight or nine years old Mm -hmm. um he was coming home from a from a you know he was on a probation period and and uh, he came to live with us, and he just started teaching me to pray. And this is the first time I'm actually able to spend time with my grandfather. I'm meeting him for the first time. He had been wow. in prison most of my life, um, let alone my mother's life. He had been in prison most of his life. So um, him being able to be out <clears throat> and uh, and to live with us was a great opportunity for me to really build a bonding experience with my grandfather. Um, the way he chose to do that was by religion. He was he was most my parents. Like I said, this time we're not religious. Uh, my mother uh, was um, in a, a, she was already remarried or married to my stepfather. My parents actually split when I was two. I still <laughs> maintained the relationship with my biological father as well. But um, so in my house was a lot of people going in and out, trafficking. You know, we were battle ran by the FBI also to that year, right before my grandfather came to live with us. And so, like, you know, it was not safe to say, an environment that was conducive to spiritual growth, let alone religion. Right? I gotcha, I gotcha. But my grandfather being there, and and I think it sort of helped me have a foundation uh, for, for faith and for religion. So unfortunately, he would only be out for a short time, maybe a year, year and a half, um, and he ended up going back to prison where he was eventually for the rest of his life. And um from that point on, I would just say I was a Muslim. If anybody had asked me a question about my religion, I'd say I was a Muslim. And about what age are we talking about here now? I'm saying you know, now, I'm, now I'm 11 years old, 10 uh-huh. years old, 12 years mm-hmm. old. By the time I was 13, um, I recorded my first professional song with a producer. Um, and my friends, you know, really, you know, it was like the new neighborhood smash, you know, for <laughs> all my friends. And so I had one friend who was involved in a hip hop program. Um, at a teen center. So he invited me to go to this hip hop program. This happened to be at a place called the Union Gospel Mission, which was a Christian mm-hmm. outreach center um, mm-hmm. for kids in the neighborhood. Um, I started going there because I was really interested in the hip hop program, but on the, in a sly way, you know, sort of like, uh, you know, started introducing me to Christianity. <laughs> and eventually they uh, invited me to a camp that was probably life changing and radical for me at that point. Um, and I think having that experience and those people that were in my life at that time really saved my life. Cause I don't think I was going, I know for sure I wasn't going in the, in the right direction. I was already expelled from the school district. I couldn't get into a regular Seattle school. Um, you know, I was fighting almost every other weekend. I was, you know, hanging out with the worst people. And, and, you know, so that was a very, very crucial and critical time. And it happened 
right before I would start my ninth grade into high school. So I go into high school, got involved in all these different Bible study groups. I was obviously playing football as well. So that kept me out of trouble. But definitely after school, like making that place my safe haven and all the different Christian groups and different things like I was involved in, that really kind of, you know, I always say like the way Hashim did it, he took me in steps, you know, even in chronological order, if you look <laughs> at how the religions came about, <laughs> in order for me to, you know, to to have a solid, solid foundation uh, so that he wouldn't scare me when he introduced <laughs> the next thing. Right? He started with little Islam, Christianity, <laughs> you're moving your way right. up, right? Okay. Moving my way up. So I, I ended up, you know, sort of having a, a period of just not being so involved after I got out of high school. My music career started to take off a little bit. I was talking to a major record label. They wanted very gangster sound for me. Um, I gave in to that. And that eventually led me into this dark place of being confused about my own identity, who I was, not only as an individual, but spiritually. Who am I? What do I want from life? Um, the good thing that I had was that I was already dating my, you know, my my wife by then. Me and my wife been together since we were 17 years old. Whoa. So you, you, you grew definitely. up in the same area? No, yes, yes, and no. She actually mm-hmm. lived about like forty-five minutes from me, but she would mm-hmm. take the bus, like <laughs> hour-long bus, every day to go to a school. Not our school, uh, my school. Uh, she actually went to a rival school. So if you talk about a miracle, <laughs> you know, it's even a miracle that I even dated her. You know, yeah. she went to, the, to the enemy school. Um, <laughs> but anyway, no, she. So, so we met through a, through a friend actually at my house. Is how I, I ended up meeting her. But it was an interesting, uh, interesting time for me because I was so confused about who I was. And I yet when I was around, my wife was my girlfriend at the time. I was a different type of guy. She was a very good girl. Grew up in church. Was very mm-hmm. like my guys, completely the opposite. You know. Right. And so I'm making music, trying to portray a persona, uh, uh, you know, and personify something that doesn't even. It's not who I am anymore. And so was the music, was the music you were producing, helping you sort of like, cause it seems like you're, you know, vacillating between these two worlds. And, and it- I don't know if I would say it helped me at one point it was, you know, during this process, this whole entire thing, what would happen was I lost my mother um, to an overdose <laughs> and that, that itself kind of uh, was the, was the ticker for me to start like really looking at music as being my emotional. Wow. Tool. How, how old were you when, when your mom died? I'm so sorry. I was, I was 19. I was 19. Wow. Yeah, wow. She was 37. She was 37. <sighs> very young, very young. So that was, that was very hard for me. Oh, that must've been devastating. Oh, completely. I wouldn't have wished to fill in on my worst enemy. It was very, very yeah. hard. And, and by this time I was already graduated from high school and, you know, I was, I was an adult and, my mother had been my best friend, you know? So it was like almost hard for like that. It was crushing. You don't get to prepare, you know, I'm not, there's no way to ever prepare for the loss of a loved one, but it's just sort of like, you know, it was just so abrupt and so sudden that, you know, I was, I felt like emotionally paralyzed, you know? And so you had that major event and then you had, you know, um, a rap beef. I got into it with another artist. He made a song about me and, you know, the, the consensus was amongst my clever at the time, my guys, was let's go beat the guy up and let's not, you know, let's not go back song and song. Let's go fight him. And then that's how we'll settle the situation. And um, although it sounded like a good idea at the time, it actually 
ended up being a nightmare. Um, after we get into this broad, a nightclub, we end up leaving. I got a call from a friend that said the police were looking for me because they said I had a gun and I went to a night. It was a complete fabrication of my story. But after I left and I found that the police, uh, there was like a high speed chase and they had come to a stop. And I seen a friend of mine, they were putting him in handcuffs. And I found out that after I left, he went up to go and try to murder the other guy. Whoa. He was a horrible shot. He missed. But the fact that he was in custody, everybody knew that the altercation was between me and the other rapper. And so now they think that I sent someone to kill them. Oh my and gosh. Now and what, and what, but what yeah. was this beef? What was this beef about? It was over music. I mean, it was over music. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's a known thing. Like, you know, he wanted to, I was having a lot of popularity at this time mm-hmm. and, you know, an artist did it back then. It was just like the sport where, okay, well, if this person has that much recognition, I'm going to call him out on a song and hopefully he'll respond to me. And then people start looking at me. It's sort of like a, no bad PR is no, no PR, no bad, even bad PR is not as good. Right. PR, you know. Right. So um, I think that was the strategy because I had met him before. He's, he, he was always cordial and very nice. He would even come to concerts of mine and, you know, it was just sort of out of the blue. Um, and so my guys sort of wanted to send him a message like, you know, Whoa. and uh, unfortunately, unfortunately they thought that I was trying to take his life. And I was put in a position where either I do go do it or they're going to come after me. And so that was the scariest time I could probably think of in my life where I really felt like, you know, not even so much because the other person was like a scary individual. You know, I mean, I didn't take him to be the biggest guy. But when you're in that life and you think that your life is on the line, I've seen many people morph into complete, you know, killers (laughs) killers <laughs> after being faced in these type of situations wow. i witnessed that so, so how, how did you pull back how did you you know extract so yourself from that my natural response was prayer that was my natural response because i had the you know i would say spiritual muscle memory of of prayer and and devotion to god and all of those things that i had learned in my you know previous stint in christianity that was mm-hmm. my natural response was like I have to pray. I fell to my knees and I was crying because wow. I always say if a person wants to portray that type of lifestyle, and it happens really in any type of lifestyle a person wants to uh, portray, but eventually you will get your opportunity to show yourself if this is what you're made of, right? And you will have to make that decision and you're going to have to make a, a very serious decision about who you are and what it is that you want from life. And I had to sit there and think about it. Is this really what I'm about? Because this is, this is going to be life altering either way it goes, whether I live and I, and I have to harm someone else or whether I'm harmed, this is going to be a life changing situation. So religion and and prayer, I mean, it really saved you at that time. Oh, absolutely. I prayed and uh, a short time after um, I got a call from, from this other guy. And I think my my thought is, is that people were telling him that, you know, everybody used to call me black or D-black. I used to go by in the street. So everybody used to call me black. And I'm sure people told him black wouldn't do that. He wouldn't send somebody after you. He wasn't, you know, it wouldn't have got that serious by him. Because I was always known, even still, as much as I was acting like a knucklehead, I brought a lot of people together. I was a peaceful guy in terms of bringing you know, two different type of people who wouldn't have got together together, you know, so that was just sort of who I was. I was known for that also. So um, I even had guys that were on my 
independent record label that were, you know, from different gangs and different sides and whatever. And I was able to create some harmony between them. So wow. I think that he got the whiff that that wasn't really a part of who I was. Mm -hmm. And so he, so he, dro me. he just dropped it then. He called me and we talked and we dropped it. I mean, he obviously had to see how serious it was and see what the situation, check the temperature, if you will. Mm -hmm. And after that happened, I felt like it was God's way of giving me another chance. So I just stayed at home and I prayed and I prayed. And then I started to pick up the Bible again. And when I started going through the Bible, I had all new eyes. There was nobody around me. There was no grandfather. There was no missionary groups. There was no nothing. It was just me starting from Braces, right? And, <laughs> and how, old you now? how old are you now? Anderson? So by this time, I was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. 20 years old. So it's very interesting. You, you talk about just the time ago when all this happened, you know, um, <clears throat> when I was when I was 13 is when I had the the the, the introduction to Christianity. It was already the first life change that I had, you know, and then later on 14, then going into high school or whatever. And then 20 years old, which is also another number of significance is when yeah. I started to really search in, which which was the year that I started to study Judaism. So um, and it was really for me just wanting to find the truth. I felt like, you know, I started praying first and then I started reading and then I started going through it really and just like I started to remember I had a lot of questions when I was in the different Bible study groups and th different things like that. And I don't feel like I was ever um, really satisfied with any of the answers mm -hmm, that I got. Mm -hmm. So I started researching and eventually that was like the the thing that led me to start uh, to start my, my Jewish journey, if you will. Wow. And, and who are who are your teachers? Like where, where you're, you're, you're living? Yeah. <laughs> who did you go to? I went to Rabbi Google, man. Rabbi, <laughs> Rabbi Google has all of the answers. Google's got a lot of Torah, man. It does. No, it's no joke. But who did you, know, you, know, you don't you don't become who you are with Rabbi Google? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Now, he had a major influence on me, Rabbi Google. But um, I so the first process was of me just trying to figure out what the truth was. So obviously, I started to realize that. A lot of the pasuk in my scriptures, and you know, in that world at that time, what it was to me, um, were speaking about this relationship between God and the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Now, I had always heard a lot of these different verses um, used inside the Christian world, referring to the church and sort of a replacement theology. And some yeah. some churches don't even know that they that they preach a replacement theology because um, mm -hmm. they're very ignorant to it. But <clears throat> So I started reading again, just starting to look at it with different eyes. Well, hold on. This is God talking to the Israelites. You know, this is talking mm -hmm. to the Jewish people, you know, not necessarily to me. So I started to dig deeper and I came across a video um, one time on YouTube called Zeitgeist Refuted. Um, mm -hmm. The original movie Zeitgeist was basically comparing um, Christianity to all the other pagan religions um, that had preceded it. Um, um, such as, you know, the, the ancient Greek religions in, in, in Egypt and whatever. And um, Zeitgeist Refuted was basically agreeing that a lot of the items inside of there um, were, were, in fact, you know, not, um, not uh, connected to Christianity at all. Um, and, and in fact, it explained that, no, actually, you know, JC was Jewish and his right. people were Jewish. And he lived in Israel. And and so when it started to explain it to me, that was like the first ticket was like, you're right. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, the whole thing would have happened over there. So 
Why would you know why? Of course, why would it even be connected to all these things? So that was the beginning. That was the uh, sort of the first revelation that this was a Jewish revelation. Exactly. That it was a Jewish thing. Then it started to talk about the holidays, Christmas and Easter and the origin of those. And I started to go, well, you're right. It doesn't have actually it is not even in the New Testament. Right. So like, hold on. You know, so that was like the beginning of feeling like. Wow, hold on. Somebody's been lying to me for a while, you know? And I didn't know how deep it was. Mm -hmm. So I started to try to find out more Jewish things. I found myself on the one and only Chabad.org, right? So after a (laughs) while, there's no way that you can defeat ending up on (laughs) Chabad.org. You can type in Elvis Presley and Chabad.org. I think it has the largest following of any Jewish website. Really? Yeah. Chabad, it's it's massive. It's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. So, so I ended up on there watching the shurim. And then after from the zeitgeist thing, that led me to messianic congregations and messianic speakers. So in between Chabad and these uh, Jews for JC, I'm just trying to figure the whole cholent out. Right. Yeah. And and also I wanted to know what the what the difference was between that. You know, I wanted to bring everything in the task as far as I knew the Abrahamic religions. So I had a Quran and then I got a JPS Tanakh. And then I got a few different versions of the Christian Bible, and I was sitting eight hours a day, going between wow. all these different texts. Eight and you're doing the, you're doing this yourself on my own, on my own. There was nobody there. I wasn't in yeshiva. Nobody was paying me to do it. But <laughs> I I really wanted to know the truth, and I got to a place where I set the the Tanakh down. I remember putting it down on the table, and I said to God like this: I want to make a deal. I said, Listen, what I thought I knew, I obviously didn't know, and and what and and. The you that I thought I knew, I also don't know you. So I want to do like this. I'm going to read this book from cover to cover, and I'm only going to look for your character. I want to know what you love. I want to know what you hate. I want to know what you reward. I want to know what you punish. I want to know you. I want to start over. That's the only thing I'm looking for. I went through the Tanakh twice, the JPS Tanakh twice, cover to cover. And I had so much you saw. And also while doing this, I was going out. I started fasting. I was taking no food. Three days in a row. I would do this in a week. I would go. And why? Because when I'm reading the books and I'm reading the stories of all the righteous people, this is what they're doing. They were crying out to God and they were fasting and they were having all these images. So I'm reading this and the spiritual sensitivity that I had was just like, it was crazy. It was crazy. And every conversation I was having, every everything that um, I would involve myself in, I would I would I would look for an answer for something, and I would turn a page, and it was right there. And it happened to me over and over again. And I felt so close to God during this time that it was just and just, like, and just you're just reading the Tanakh straight. I'm just you're reading, reading the Tanakh straight. The JPS English no translation, right? No Mephorshim. Right. It was in English. <laughs> I right. had right. you know, it was no no. I didn't have all for, the. For, for our, for our listeners, Mefarshim means the commentary. So he's the just commentary. just reading the biblical text. It's unbelievable. And you went through it twice. Right. You went through it twice, and you're feeling a connection now. Major connection. Major connection. Because all these stories have brand new meaning. I read my Bible before as a Christian. But now I'm reading it, and the whole story in the Midbar and the desert is, is, is brand new to me. Yeah. Look at Moses and, and the people. And I started to focus much more on the people. And I saw over there was the relationship that was the biggest thing was the relationship between God and the Jewish people that you know I concluded and I've said many times in my in my interviews that it really is what we have on our hands is a story of screw ups right we all <laughs> screw up 
Everybody's screwing up from the beginning of the book all the way we get to the Nevim. Everybody's messing up the whole entire time, right? And God is saying every time, even after all of the, the, the prophecies, they begin with this rebuke, this harsh rebuke. rebuke. <laughs> and by the time it finishes, God has all these promises of restoration and, and of manucha and everything going to, to, a, to a place of the, the ultimate redemption and God being our God and us being his people again and him never leaving us. So that made me, from an outside perspective, look at that and say, I want to be involved. I got to get involved. Now, so, why? What, what was it about all these mess ups that you said the Jewish people kept the right. sin of the golden calf and the sin right. of the spies? And so, what, what, what was it? it, it, it oh, Shiva Beno, King David. Right. I mean, right. let's keep going. You know? Is like, that why, what, what was inspiring <laughs> right. about that to you? What was inspiring about it is that that was my life. That was my mm-hmm. life. I'm I also messing up. I'm also in and out in trouble, you know, my, my whole entire life, you know, and so. That was something that spoke and you can come back and you can come back. That you know, the message of the Torah is that you can come back always, always. You can always come back, and 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 in fact, that's the period. That's the dog chapter. Like I said, the prophecies are never left off with it's just going to be doomsday. There's always, and then again, I'm going to bring (laughs) you back to me, and I'm going to be a god to you. And you know, uh, I'm married to the black backslider, as it says in one of them, and and every uh, all these beautiful things. So it was sort of like. Looking at that, saying that from that, seeing that from the outside in, I was just like, I started to get a little jealous, you know. So, <laughs> wow, that's incredible. Thank you so so much for for sharing that. I mean, what you really were on a a personal spiritual quest, and it brought you to Yiddishkeit. It brought you to Judy. You know what I've heard a lot of my students um, over the years say to me when they learn the Bible for the first time, when they learn the Torah, and they see how honest of an accounting it is. Right. Honesty is like, you know, for some people, it's like the Torah must be true because all the ancient texts were written by, you know, um, or let's say it must be, have been written by God and not by people. Because most people, when they wrote ancient texts, kings and, you know, and rulers of ancient societies, they never wrote about their defeats. They never right. wrote about their mess ups. They wrote about we did this and we did that. And like, there is no more of a, an honest accounting of, of a history right. than the Torah itself. Right. You know, I'm actually uh, writing a um, I'm writing a preparatory book for the High Holidays now. It's called the 40 Day Challenge. When I get it all, when, when it's coming out in a couple of weeks, please God. Okay. And uh, one of the things I'm arguing there is that honesty is so crucial, especially being honest with yourself. Um, t- tell me a little. How, how, do you agree with that? Like, and how has that been helpful for your for your journey? I think that that is the key to. Um, to achieve, you know, true closeness to God. I think this is the key to to really establish an honest and real relationship with yourself even, you know. Um, I talk about it often, like, you know, we're so addicted to noise in this generation, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that it's very hard for a person to just get in a car and to listen to their thoughts and, to, and without playing the music or without having the radio or some type of stimuli to to, to keep us occupied because, you know, God forbid I should be by myself and hear what I have to think about. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so so we, we allow ourselves to be distracted by things. And, and, and because we're never able to actually go into our inner person and to really tap in, then by nature, we build a callus. And by nature, we are always c- trying to 
block and protect that place for, for, you know, for instance, we're never there, right? We never allow ourselves to get there. So for sure, we're going to block out anyone else and everything else from getting into that inner place until God forbid the person has a breakdown. And then all of a sudden everything starts pouring out. But honesty is so crucial and it's so needed, you know, as a person now today is a breast of chassid who goes out and I go and speak to, to God, you know, for an hour every day, you know, the key ingredient over there is honesty because sometimes if we're, if we're, if we're really, if we're honest, we, we have a tough time even expressing to God who we feel and already knows, knows everything, the things that are very, very painful to us, things that hurt us or things that we're sorry about, uh, because we we just rather not deal with the issue. So I think honesty is like the key to to, Beautiful. to really being the true you. Thank you for sharing that. You know what what attracted you to the Breslov? Um, a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with the different Hasidic groups. You know uh, they get lopped together as one big ultra orthodox community. My son, my oldest son, who happens to be in Israel now, uh, who does a lot of music, he writes a lot of musical meditations. He's very attracted to the Breslov, and we, we're studying Rav Nachman together now. Oh wow! What what, what is it? Um, what is it about the Breslov approach that was so attractive to you? Um, it, it was sort of you know the same story of what I just told you that I read. It was it, it was a few different consistent themes. Um, the thing for for me, and I've had this from I heard this from many different other not only converts but people who are Bali Chuva who came back to Judaism. Um, after not being religious or not even having been exposed to religion and find out they were Jewish later. However, from many different spectrums of people who come back and there's like this major fire that you come in with <laughs> and all of a sudden it gets cooled down. Yeah. You know, like yeah. Uh, you go back into, you go into a community and you start living the, and then you're just like, what happened? You know, it's it like a major down. It's like, no, hold on. Now I'm, I'm doing everything. Now I'm keeping Sabbath. Now I'm keeping Shabbos. I'm doing like how all of a sudden, whatever. And, and, uh, and you're almost like, you know, Reb Nachman has a teaching about this. Like a person's put in this world to find the lost objects. What are the lost objects? Was this, this tremendous uh, light of Torah and connection that a person was taught even before they came into the world. This wonderful thing that, that satiates the soul that a person's dropped here in this world and you're on this search, this constant life search to go and find that lost object that, that you have. So <clears throat> when I came into Judaism, um, it was very hard to find that, you know, I ended up, you know, converting in Seattle, which is a wonderful and loving community. Um, however, it was very, very hard, you know, going into it. And, and it isn't even the fact that it's a modern Orthodox community. It's just that not a lot of people was fasting three days and reading right. the Tanakh from cover to cover. <laughs> you didn't have a lot of buddies doing that with you, no? <laughs> you didn't have a lot of uh, groups. You know, my wife was talking to me the other day. She was like, you know, back in the old days, you know, they would do all day prayer and right. shut in the room and dim the lights and hit candles and pray to God and cry out all night, you know. So... These type of things, were you coming from that type of environment, then you come into everything. There's a Seder, there's a prayer book, there's a this time, and there's a that time. You're like, hold on, where's, hold on, you know, Hashem, where'd you go? Where'd you go? Where's the passion? Where's the excitement? Right. And when I came across the Breast Love Seform, it was like, boom, here here you go. You know, for me, that that was sort of the thing that 
Rabbi Nachman's very big on talking about no matter how far, there's no despair in the world at all. You can always connect to God from even the lowest point that you are. And the immense uh, uh, and just the amount of work that he does on tefillah and the power of prayer, right? That been saving my whole entire life even right. before I was Jewish. Right. So it's for me, um, you know, like the, you know, the Ramchal writes in the beginning of the Misilah Yisham, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. In the book, <laughs> The Path of the Just, it, yeah. it begins in the introduction. I'm not telling Incredible. you something you don't yeah. already know. So when I, when, I, when I started reading these books, it was sort of like it was hitting a place, a point inside me was saying, you already know that this is the realest truth that you can possibly know. So, um, and are you able to Nisim? Are you? This is so inspiring to me. Are you able to capture? I mean, I think I, I hear it in some of your music. Are you able to capture some of these these sparks, these spiritual sparks that keep you excited about your Judaism? Sharing it through music, through it through the rapping. Yes, yes, but I want to do it more. You know, it's like it's one of those things. It's like, yes, you know, you get on a kick and you feel like I, I, I accomplish it, and that's the whole thing about being a creative. It's sort of like, you know, how I had this experience. How do I bottle this up? Yeah. You know, and and take this into to the studio with me and and create a song that. And I'm still trying to figure out. I think Zusha does it really great. That happened. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, yeah I love I love the band Zusha. Um, but so. But I'm I'm definitely trying to figure out more ways to do it. But obviously, it's going to come out because it's what's going in, and it's just a natural, um, it's a natural thing for you know whatever goes in, it comes out. And so I do talk about a lot of these things, and I say it very subtly. But almost a lot of the things I'm writing, I, I learned from Lekute Maharan or something like that. Those of you listening, Lekute Maharan is the writings. Of Rav Nachman of Breslov, who's the founder of the Hasidic movement, the actual yeah. grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, who started all of Hasidut. Right. Um, but but Nisim, I, it just how what would you say to our listeners? And we're all looking for inspiration. MGE is an organization; it's a community that's devoted to trying to light the spark within young Jewish people living in New York City. Mm-hmm. And we do have a lot of uh, we've had a lot of success. A lot of young people have taken Judaism into their life, become Bali Tshuva. And exactly what you said happens to all of us. Right. You then come to synagogue and it just feels stale. And it's like, where's God? Where's the excitement? Where's the passion? Would you therefore recommend people? What What would you recommend for someone that's found their way back to Judaism, but is just not continuing to find the inspiration, continuing to find the, the drama and that, right. and that spiritual connection? So I think the first thing is is to remember, you know, the, what I said a, a few minutes ago is that we have to remember we're in here to find that lost, mm-hmm. that lost, the lost object, yeah, yeah, that lost object, and and the truth is is that you know, this is this is this is this is number one, this is number one, and and this is not a, a Hasidic thing, it's really. Hmm. Uh, uh, brought all the time as this a Hasidic thing, the whole idea of a righteous person and all that. I read the Tanakh from cover to cover those two times and also, you know, many other times. It's a part of my, it's a part of my Seder. The whole entire book is always following a righteous person in that generation by whom everybody goes to see. And this works in every single field, in every single field, right? Um, if you want to be the best lawyer, you go and find the top person to go learn from. In any position that you want to uh, you want to achieve, you go and find whoever's the best and you go and learn from them. You go and get inspired by by another person 
who who's defied the odds to be able to do that. It's the same thing in spirituality. We have to go and find people that are on fire for God, that lives for God, and that's their office. That's their occupation. <laughs> By going to be around people like that will give us a, a, a reminder, hold on, you're searching for something while you're here. Don't forget that you're looking for something while you're here. And I think that's important. Another thing is, I was reading this book by uh, Yaakov Addis, who's a very awesome and, and righteous uh, 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 person here in Jerusalem. He often uh, pops up at the coattail like Eliyahu Navi <laughs> in the middle of the night. And he, and he prays with so much fire and passion. But he wrote something beautiful in his book called Diva Yaakov. He said that one of the ways that we are able to attain that spiritual fire and connection is by reading the stories of when God actually was had manifested himself in the world in the most uh, tangible way, which was during the period of the Tanakh. And he talks specifically about reading the stories of uh, Elijah the prophet, or Elisha, and all those things, and being able to be inspired from seeing how, how God moves in the world. So I think that that's another thing is that you have both you know, the Torah, you have being around people that are righteous and then and then praying and, and never shutting down that personal connection to God. The the Jewish Jewish the you know the Aleph in Judaism is really the prayer. You know, Yehuda comes from 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 those who praise comes from Judah, which is which is told to we're 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 praising God. We're praising God. So to be connected, we always have to be constantly praying and, and constantly speaking. To, to God in our own words. That's, that's Judaism, not Brexit. Wow. Yeah, 100%. It's Judaism 101. And if you don't mind, I'm going to use that to make a commercial for MGE's <laughs> awesome Tfila. You know, COVID, COVID, was a, COVID was really, really tough because it, it kept so many people home and it kept people from davening together. And as much as I right. tried getting my Talmidim, all my students, to try to daven alone, you don't have to go to shul to daven. A lot of our students are, don't necessarily have that background where they're used to doing that. Mm -hmm. So I just want to mention this now, anyone who's listening, that MGE is back <laughs> every Friday night, 645. And we do Kabbalat Shabbat with musical instruments. We put the musical instrument because we start early. And then we put the musical instruments away um, at um, Boi Vishalom when we finish up L'chad Dodi. Mm -hmm. and, then, um, and then Shabbos morning, we're praying at 930 in the morning, guys. And the numbers are starting to go up, but very slowly people are still cocooned, even though they've gotten the vaccination, they're right. still having a hard time coming back. Right. So um, so I want to just jump on what you're saying about the passion and the power of prayer and how important that is to keep the spark. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing I heard from you, Nisim, is I love the lost objects. The mm -hmm. idea from Rav Nachman that we come into this world um, missing something. I'll share just a piece of Torah also, uh, uh, heard in the name of Rav Soloveitchik. And Rav Soloveitchik asked the question, why is it that we have this strange passage in the Talmud where it talks about um, an angel that teaches the baby in utero for the nine months that the child is developing within its mother, there's this angel that's teaching the entire Torah to the child. And then at the very last second, the Talmud says, that the angel gives a little flick on the upper lip, causing the child to forget all of its Torah. So Rav Salvechik asks the question, it's like, what was the whole point? You know, if the kid's going to forget everything anyway, why did, why did it have to study for nine months if at the end of the day it's going to lose everything? So it's exactly, I think, what you were saying in the name of Rav Nachman. 
Because that way, when you study Torah later on, you're just trying to recapture something which already was, but somehow got lost. Right. And he has a great analogy. He says it's like when a Jew studies Torah, it's like putting together the pieces uh, of like an amnesia victim, mm. trying to regain the memory of something that was once there but had been lost. And I think that's a very powerful message for our listeners because, you know, there's always something that's missing. Right. And sometimes we're we're reticent to say that, that what's missing is something spiritual. Right. You know, uh, yeah, could, if I, I could, and then we try to fill in what's missing with all sorts of physical things and it doesn't cut it. Right. Right. It's, it's, uh, you know, I had this moment when I was in the 10th grade, retrospectively, I can look back now and say, I, I think I know what it was, but back then <laughs> I had no idea. I remember my 10th grade year walking in from, you know, my lunch period <clears throat> and, um, in the hallway, like I normally do coming from, you know, probably McDonald's or something, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I all of a sudden just had this moment come over me and I looked around and I felt like I knew something that nobody else knew. I didn't know what I knew, but I knew something and I felt so out of place. And I felt like inside something was telling me you don't belong here. You don't belong here. And I'm looking at my friends that I grew up with from my childhood or whatever. And at that point, after that happened to me, I became more spiritual. Because I felt like God was trying to tell me something. I didn't know what. I didn't know, you know, I'm not I'm not a Navi. I'm not a prophet. But I felt like God was trying to signal something to me. Wow. And I think that almost every time when a person sort of has that that feeling of of of, of feeling like they're searching for something, they should attribute it to something spiritual. Yeah. But it, it's very um, it's it's a very natural thing to be able to look at that and say, well, hold on, maybe this is something spiritual. As, as opposed to trying to fill it, like you said, with some some physical. You know, we always say you can't fix phys- spiritual problems with physical things, you know? Yeah, yeah, and we do that all the time. Right. Uh, is it tough transitioning from rapping? Sometimes uh, maybe if you're rapping on something which isn't as holy uh-huh. uh, to subjects that are more holy? <laughs> um, yes and no. Um, I've, I've found myself, like, over this past two years trying to – really dumbed down um when i mean not not necessarily in terms of my wit but in terms of the subject matter um mm-hmm. to be able to reach more people who may mm-hmm. not understand what i'm talking about um and i found that very difficult because it's just not my my everyday conversation you know mm-hmm. we've been mm-hmm. on you know for i don't know how many minutes now and i also mm-hmm. at the same time i'm trying not to sound as yeshivish or no. you know as i as i can i'm trying you know so mm-hmm. you imagine doing that in the song is even more complicated more, yeah it's more challenging it's more complicated. Sure. so it has been something that's very challenging for me but i love challenges in terms of that especially when it comes to uh to the arts i love uh, doing doing new things. I just worked on a song with uh, Shlomo Katz. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and oh, I love him. Zusha, I just did a song with uh, all these that have not been released, but like I'm always looking for something that people say it doesn't go together and trying to make it fit. So um, it is challenging, but I enjoy the challenge. Um, and, and, and it's very hard also because you know, I, if I if I had a, my way, if I was really only thinking about me, <laughs> I don't know who'd be listening to the music. <laughs> well, you have to listen. You got listen. 
the Almighty gave you a gift, and you're using right. it in a way to bring people in, and you can keep being you, right? But right. Sure. but then you know it's not it's not going to benefit as many people as long as you don't lose your authenticity, which you clearly have not. H- how are you sure when a song is the best it can be? Um, after it's already out, and and I'm saying <laughs> too late to change. I did this, and it's too late to change this. Right. Every time something's released, I always feel like, man, I should have went back and did this. But you know, during the time, you know, it, and I guess it's sort of like it's harder because you know I come from an era, even in rap music, where things were. Even then, there was more instruments or a little bit more change-ups, a little bit more something or a little bit fuller than the way rap is done today. So mm-hmm. it's like almost like it's really like less is more. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's sort of like this constant battle of just like, you know, I really want to call in so-and-so to do a string section on this, but that would be too much music, you know, or <laughs> that would be too much, you know, so... I, it generally happens, you know, several months after it's out. And I'm just like, man, I should have. <laughs> so you you should have, would have. But I can't do it anymore. So, you what, know. What, what was your most thrilling performance? Uh, most thrilling performance. It's a very, very good question. I, are you back, by the way, since COVID? Have you been doing anything? Yes, like yes. Live? I did my first, I did my first uh, concert uh, uh, over Pesach. I was in oh, Cancun. Oh, awesome. So that was awesome. And then... Um, just this past Lagma Omar, I was in Sfat and I did a concert over there. So that was also, it felt so good to be back on stage. Uh, Um, and yes, I, I would say probably the most thrilling performance. I would say a few years ago, I did my own night at uh, the master theater in Brooklyn mm. and just the, the love from the audience was just so great. And, you know, the Waterbury boys, you know, from Connecticut, they were up front and it literally almost like stopped the whole entire show because the floor was shaking too much. Oh, my gosh. And it was like a fire hazard. Right. You know? That much energy. And 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 I would say, you know, because I have a few. Uh, and I said, the other one, <laughs> I earned Uman, Uman every year for, wow. you know, I do a concert over there. And that's always like, it's a, it's a, it's, it's fun, you know. I just enjoy the energy from people and it's like, it never gets old The fact that people enjoy your work and your music. And it's not like for me, it's just like, okay, people just like, they like the song so much, but it's like my heart went into it and, and, and people feel that. And I feel that people feel that my heart went right, into it. Right. So that ca- connection. See, would, would, would you ever encourage your kids to mm-hmm. go into, not necessarily rap, but just mm-hmm. the arts? You know what? I feel like, you know, you have to, you know, I'm very mission oriented. So like if a person strongly feels that they have a mission and that they have a certain gift and, um, and, and, and God has placed something in it, I think you have to run with it, you know, yeah. but I think it takes a lot of honest, like, um, you know, prayer, meditation and whatever to, to really ask yourself and to be real honest, you know, if you will, yeah. with yourself, if it's, um, if it, if it's really that, or if it's just your own ambition, you know, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time with that. I actually gave up rap when I started my conversion because I felt that it, it, it was a, it would be a hindrance to my spiritual mm-hmm. growth. Um, and, and I left it on the way and, and it was like pulling teeth to get me to come back to it really, you know? And it wasn't until I was able to really give it up and to say that God, I'm doing this for you. Mm-hmm. And that I was able to say, I'm going to pick it up for you also. You know, so sometimes you have to um, test your sincerity to see if it's coming from 
your own ambitions or if it's coming from, you know, what you feel like God put you in the world to do, yeah. especially in the arts. I think that has to come from deep within, you know. Well, it sounded like, you know, that you needed to figure out who you were. And then once you know who you are, you can then take your talent, you can take your God-given gift and then right. use it towards that. But when right. you're still in the process of trying to figure that out, that could be confusing then. Right. Absolutely. And it could be it could be detrimental because something you're going to be taking from somewhere, all that energy you need to yeah. focus on building yourself ends up being scattered into, you yeah. know, into other things. Yeah. And it's and it's a thrill. It's no doubt about it. I know for myself, even as a creative, like, you know, especially when you're involved in a project like right now, I'm dragging, dragging <laughs> to get my next uh, project done because. Mm. I know once I get in that mode, it's so so much harder for me to make it to my Kharusan time for me because I get in this kick of of create creating that it's just sort of like and I have to get myself into a process of you know it's always for me I have to morph into this to this place and into this person and get into this place where I'm saying okay right now Hashem we're over here right. <laughs> this is where we are right. you know um, and that means and that means that. We're not in the basement just for, for, for eight hours. Now, Hashem, we're right here, you know? And sometimes it's hard for us to, to change the different rooms and to also bring Hashem with us in the room, you know? So I, I think so. It's it's always been very, very difficult to balance that, even, you know, even with all the connection and the fire. So, you know, let alone if you're still trying to figure it out, it could be very difficult. Sure. So let me ask you, because we're, we're coming to an end here, and I really, really appreciate your time. This is amazing. So one of the things I'm I'm asking people to do in this book that I'm writing, the 40-day challenge, and, you know, I'm writing it because, you know, so many Jews, especially in America, they go to high holiday services, but sometimes we don't see them until the next Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur. So so I have this, like, 40 days of preparation from Rosh Chodesh Elul all the way till Yom Kippur, and I'm encouraged. No, it's <laughs> well. I mean, that's what Kazal called it. I'm calling it the 40 day challenge. I do have one. Every day is another entry, and I have one entry on Slichot to explain what it is. But one okay. of the things I'm encouraging people to do, and this is my question for you, Nisim, one of the things I'm encouraging people to do is to is to to figure out how to have that balance, like you just said. Like you're writing music, you're trying to come out with your next big thing, but you still go to the Beit Midrash to study Torah. You still go and pray. So what is one thing that, because um, I'm trying to ask people in this book to take on one thing that they can do Jewishly, that no matter what else is going on in their life, no matter what kind of relationship crisis, no matter what kind of job upheaval, career aspirations they have, that they could still stick with that one thing every day. Right. I think I think that's taking the time out. If I If I were to say... It's speaking with Hashem. I think that that's that's what it is, and coming back and having that, uh, the those moments of honesty, and and that involves everything, um, not only our aspirations and the things that we want to achieve, um, um, you know, going forward, but also the things that that we may have done that we don't feel so happy about, and 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 fixing those things, and and and. Telling, telling God from everything. Like most people are like, well, I don't really know where to start. And I don't really, I don't know where to, where to say. And I always say, that's the first thing you can say. Because <laughs> I don't know where to start. And I don't know, I don't know what to say. Right. Um, and, and even just being sincere in that, because I think what that does is that, that builds the relationship. The, the first point of, 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 of contact, you know, 
uh, to some degree with Judaism has to be the relationship with the Hashem. It's not the relationship to our Judaism. It's the relationship with God. So when everything starts there on that foundation and we're able to spend time with him every day, speaking to him, no matter what the, the situation is, then we will we will end up growing in the direction that we want to. We'll be able to see the, the fruits of those prayers and we'll also be able to 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 um, to free up, you know, even more time to do other things that we want to and more spiritual activities. You know, there's a famous story of uh, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. I, I've heard this story, you know, many different times and in many different forms of someone who came to him and said that I only have 15 minutes in the day to learn. What should I learn? Should I learn Gemara? Should I learn Musa? Should I learn? And he said to learn Musa. He says, because after that, then you'll figure out that you have more than 15 minutes in the day. <laughs> I right? love it. So, love it. Musa, guys, Musa, it means like ethical inspiration, ethical, ethical instruction. Right. Instruction. Yeah. Right. 100%. And so, and so those things are very, very important. I feel like that that speaking and because that's going to to help us to come to the ultimate reality of everything is what, what everything is. You know, the the the, the Zohar, the, the the Kabbalistic writings talk about how this world is a, what we call the Amma de Shikra. It's a world of fake, fake, fake news. It's fake. Everything. Everything's fake. A whole whole world is fake. And we're trying to part of that object that what we're trying to find is the truth. It's trying to look for the truth. And the more and more we're talking to God, we're, we're connected to, to, to the ultimate source of truth. So that I think that will be able to help us have overall clarity. Beautiful. Thank you, man. That was beautiful. I really, that's practical. Talk to God, look for the truth. And I'm incredibly inspired just by the path that you've taken in your life. Thank Those, you. I'm just, I have this image of you sitting with the JPS Tanakh going through these stories. And it's just, it's really amazing. Hashem should bless you, Nisim. You should continue to produce amazing, amazing work and continue to be a light for the Jewish people and for the world and bringing Hashem to this world like you've done. And just uh, your family should just be blessed. And, and all of the Torah that we studied should be an aliyat neshamaz, an elevation for the soul of, uh, of, our, of our brothers who lost their lives last week. And it should be a chizuk for those uh, sustaining injuries that should have Rafur Shlema. Thank you so much for joining us, Nisim. Thank I really, you, really appreciate Thank it. You. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Wilds Cast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do it, it helps others discover the show. Music from today's episode comes courtesy of Yosef Wiles. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.